I said, I don't use that word because you didn't miscarry anything. And one of my students mm. started sobbing. She's like, I, I have had pregnancy losses and no one has ever said that to me. And you just mm -hmm. like reframed my entire experience. Welcome to the Kindness Is podcast, where we take a deep dive into the true meaning of kindness. I'm your host, Caitlin Johnstone, the co-founder of Kind Cotton. Let's dive in. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Kindness Is Pod. I am very excited today because I am speaking with a woman who I needed in my life when I was going through perinatal phases. Meg Duke is a seasoned, licensed clinical social worker, supervisor, and proud owner of Amplify Wellness Mental Health and Coaching. With a profound focus on perinatal mental health, Meg specializes in addressing distractibility, focus issues, and enhancing attention during the crucial perinatal period. She brings a unique blend of compassion, clinical knowledge, and a commitment to mental well-being. We dance all over all types of topics throughout this episode, but I think you're really going to enjoy it. Meg is such a wealth of knowledge, and I'm so grateful to have been able to spend some time with her on and off the podcast. My face is actually hurting right now from smiling so much. Like, I'm so happy to be here. I just realized, oh I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> that makes me so happy. And for anyone who is listening, I feel like we just need to tell listeners, like, the craziness. First of all, Meg had me on her podcast, which is incredible. You need to go listen to it sometime. But... <laughs> And I'll link it all in the show notes. So she had me on her podcast, what, it was like two weeks ago now? Yes. And I had a brand new puppy. The puppy was going crazy. I thought it was going to like nap right here at my feet. And she was going nuts. And Meg was so amazing. <laughs> so today I had everything planned. Everything was ready. My daughter was going to be at school. My husband was going to have the dog. Well, my daughter's teacher got sick. My husband had a call at the same time. The dog got into the front yard and here comes the puppy and my mom running down the stairs as Meg and I were about to start this podcast. Yes. So here we are, friend. But if that is not just a metaphor for parenthood, mm. honestly, for life, like anybody who's listening who does not have tiny humans for whom they're responsible for life. <laughs> For, I mean, we really have these best, and not to be pessimistic, but just like the best laid plans and we can be as prepared as we can be. And you were, you were so, you told me all of those things. And then it's just like, and everything that was with outside of your control came Happened. to be. Yeah. All at once. Oh. So I feel like this is somehow an odd but beautiful introduction yes. as to who you are and what you do because you help a lot of parents in your line of work, right? Yes, yes, that is my, I do see people who are emphatically child-free. I do see a little younger people, I see some older people, but generally speaking, I focus on perinatal mental health and more specifically perinatal focus. Um, ADHD is obviously a proper diagnosis and we don't wanna overdiagnose ourselves or anybody else, but a lot of people with the distractibility and the focus concerns and so, Yes, these are the conversations that I have with people so often. And like, how do we sit with the emotion that's related to it? How do we try to plan for it, but give ourselves grace when it all falls apart and everything in between? I mean, I feel like I need to just sit in here on a session with you right now because this is my life. Like you are talking 
to me. Why do you or why did you decide to specifically focus on perinatal mental health? Like, why was that such a passion of yours? So I, when I decided to go full-time private practice, decided they, they always tell you too, because we they don't teach us marketing in social work school. They always tell you really got a niche if you are the, and I use air quotes, expert, or like, that's the one thing that you do. Like, what is your one thing? Then people are going to be able to find you more. They're going to want to come talk to you. And so for me, and of course you can really niche down within perinatal mental health as well. Mm. Um, but I, and for me, so I had my own fertility struggles. Um, I, we started, decided that we were going to get, start trying at a certain time, like a month and a half and I got pregnant. I had positive pregnancy test, And, um, I think it was about eight weeks in, I had my first pregnancy loss and I didn't get pregnant for a really long time. Then I got pregnant again and had another pregnancy loss at seven weeks. Um, have lots of stories about all of that and how not great some care providers are just because somebody participates in maternal fetal medicine or obstetrics or anything related to lactation, nursing. There are some beautiful providers out there who have mm -hmm. nothing but the highest of intelligence and the best of hearts and know exactly what to say all the time. People will say terrible things to you. And mm -hmm. it's tough because you see them as a professional. They are. You see them as a person with knowledge. They hopefully have. And so you're like, oh, something's wrong with me. One of my, in my second pregnancy loss, uh, my obstetrician said to me, well, at least you weren't that pregnant. Knowing, mm -hmm. knowing that we had been trying for a couple of years that I'd already had a first pregnancy loss. I obviously, I fired her. First of all, you can also advocate for yourself and ask for another provider in the same office or you can fully the same office. I fired her. I was like, so we're done here. If people are saying something to you like that, that's not about you. That's about them or their, un, their lack of knowledge or compassion or whatever that might be. I think it's so important. It actually brought up so much for me, and I'm happy that you shared it because, first of all, I think it's gotten better, but I don't think that we talk enough about struggling with fertility or yes. struggling very much with anything surrounding fertility, right, and motherhood. Mm -hmm. And I miscarried as well around 11 weeks. I went, thankfully that was my only pregnancy loss that I ever experienced, uh -huh. but I went in for like my first sonogram all excited, right? Like we're, we're pregnant and we're doing this and we heard the heartbeat uh -huh. and the doctor said to me at that point, she was like, well, this is great news because there's only a 3% chance of miscarrying once you can hear a heartbeat on a sonogram. Uh -huh. But she like went and got someone else during this time and like had someone else look at the baby to the fetus and um, things just seemed off, right? Mm -hmm. Well, the next day I miscarried and mm -hmm. I called her because I was experiencing cramping and bleeding and all of these things. And she was just like, oh yeah, I thought you were measuring really small yesterday. You're, you're just miscarrying. And I'm like, you know that from like just being on the phone with me after yesterday you told me that there was only a three percent chance of me now miscarrying because you could find a heartbeat like mm. wild to me wild needless yes. to say and yes. she didn't even want me to come in she was just like just stay home you're miscarrying no big deal yeah like, just oh i literally with my second one i no one would answer the phone and so mm -hmm. I drove my happy butt over to that doctor's office and I sobbed and I asked, I was like, could I maybe like go and sit in one of the powder rooms or mm -hmm. well, we don't have any open rooms. So, you, so literally I sat in the waiting room 
sobbing hysterically because, oh my gosh, it's happening again. Mm-hmm. And I think somebody did finally at least bring me a box of tissues. Um, but I don't use miscarry, miscarriage because you did not miscarry anything. And especially given what just happened this week, I don't know when this podcast is coming up, but recently in the United mm. States and Alabama. Yeah. Um, I think it's really important that we understand and the fact that people are trying to legislate and prosecute people who experience pregnancy loss, mm-hmm. that we're really intentional about it is a pregnancy loss. Mm-hmm. You did not miscarry anything like a miscarriage of justice. Mm-hmm. Is like an attorney stepped outside of the code of ethics or the letter of the law, which there's ambiguity and greatness in the law too, but right. Yeah. I just no, want to I appreciate say that, that for everyone who's listening. And maybe if that, maybe I'm giving you therapy right now. Yeah. <laughs> maybe see? That could also be something that's meaningful for you as well, because like, I just, I believe that you did not miscarry anything. And so pregnancy loss, and that's the other thing too, like even obstetricians these days will say miscarry, like, oh, you're miscarrying, stay home. And it's like, yeah, I am not doing anything. This is happening. So anyway, I apologize for the tangent, but that's like a big soapbox for me. (laughs) I think that's so important. And the, and the crazy thing is, is that I feel like we don't hear that that often. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have, I, I have absolutely used the term, but I feel like miscarriage is so commonly used. Yes. So, so I, because that is what, and I, I, you know, again, very rarely is any one thing, all one thing. I need that tattooed across my forehead mm. because I say it, I say it all the time. We are so, we talked about this before we started reporting. It's so hard to operate in nuance in this world these days. You are either with me or you are against me. You are the right or you are wrong. You are either, we're always right. You're not allowed to ask questions and you have to stay exactly where you were, even though you've gotten new information, because how dare you flip flop? And I very strongly disagree with that. You and I both were on the same page about that. And so I'm sure when somebody decided that that was the word that they used, that maybe perhaps there wasn't malintent or perhaps there was because women have never been really respected and that's all we were good for. And how dare you miscarry this baby? I don't know. I don't know the origin of the word, but I do think it's, I know it's really important for us to be intentional about those things. And again, because especially in the United States, there's so much blame placed on, there's so much stigma around, like we now in Alabama can't even participate in IVF. Um, I think it was it was in Ohio that was trying to prosecute people and the, their mm-hmm. Supreme Court took a couple of days to determine whether or not they were actually going to arrest this poor human, this birthing person who was experiencing a pregnancy loss. While this person is experiencing a pregnancy loss, they're also worrying about litigation. Like, I can't even fathom. So that for me, I just I think if you're already on this podcast, you're probably already with us. And some of you are like, yes, Meg, please move on and get to the point. But it's not another example of that is I was talking about echo words. I teach at the University of Kansas. I said, I don't use that word because you didn't miscarry anything. And one of my students started Mm. sobbing. She was like, I was like, you okay?" And she's like, I. I have had pregnancy losses and no one has ever said that to me. And you just. Mm -hmm like reframed my entire experience. Like it's not my fault. We blame ourselves. We do. How my body is terrible. And Oh, I can't even tell you. Like when I finally like, sorry, we're really, we're taking this on a tangent, but that's okay because I think it's important, especially given the circumstances and I could, of what's going on in the world or Mm -hmm. what's going on in America, I should say. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I ended up, having to go to the emergency room that night. So A, it wasn't just a stay home and Uh and we'll figure it out at another time. I got so sick. My blood pressure dropped so low that I passed out on the bathroom floor. Mm -hmm. My husband had to call an ambulance. So you were just so overwhelmed with sadness and pain 
like physical horrible pain. And then on top of that, to feel as though there could have been something that you could do differently because that's a messed up thing that is in your mind. I don't know if it's societally or personally or a mixture of both. I can remember sitting in the office like two days later, just hysterically crying like, what if I ate something different? Or what if I did this? Or what if I did? And I was like a perfectly healthy Yes. Individual who did nothing wrong. And even if I wasn't a quote unquote perfect, healthy individual who did nothing quote unquote wrong, you still do not have control over pregnancy loss. Yes. And we know that one in four people experience pregnancy yeah. loss. One in, I can't remember now. I think it used to be one in eight. And now it's one in six or it might be the other way around. And I apologize. I'm not I am not the numbers person, but I never I will always reference and I will acknowledge when I don't know the exact number. But so yeah. many people experience fertility struggles. Mm-hmm. And that's the other thing, too, is that I do encourage people when they feel empowered about like firing your obstetrician or whatever that might look like for you, like trusting your body. Like you knew something was wrong. And even though that medical provider blew you off, that's my word, um, something was not okay. And so mm. for you to be like, okay, well, if you're not going to treat me, then I will go to the emergency department and that's fine. But like really encouraging people. And you know what? That's another, um, gosh, I'm full of the language today. Another fuck politeness moment because <laughs> And I'm not saying like everyone go run to your emergency department. My very darling, beautiful sister-in-law is, um, it works in the emergency department and she's such a badass. So like, don't overrun the emergency department. <laughs> Try to go to yeah. your primary providers first. But at the end of the day, if you're being blown off, absolutely go get medical help. Trust your mm-hmm. body. Something feels wrong. Worst case scenario, you get there and they're like, yeah, honey, you just haven't eaten enough to, oh, don't say honey, that's patronizing. Yes, Caitlin, <laughs> you haven't eaten enough today and that's why your blood sugar is dropping and that's why you feel like you're gonna pass out. So we just need to get you some apple juice fine but better safe than sorry i am on a soapbox today you are and i am here for it i'm so excited it actually leads me into my next question is well actually you know what meg i don't think we've fully answered why perinatal yes (laughs) is so important to you like what inspired you that of course was the biggest thing my own personal experiences and i Mm. wanted to be the person that i needed when i was going through that and then of course you know it's evolved since i've been in in there more and more things more and more of these conversations have continued to come up one of the big things that i talk about right now with clients is like parenting guilt and again here i go with my language not mom guilt not default caregiver guilt but parenting guilt and understanding Mm -hmm. and differentiating that has been such a big thing for people. So mom guilt is I didn't make the perfect hundred day shirt because I had a work event or I didn't cut smiley faces into my kids uncrustable or what. And it's more than that. It is more than I'm not trying to be flipped, but like that Pinterest mom of it all. Oh yeah. Right. Because we live in this world of social media and constant seeing a highlight reel. Yeah. 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 We could go on a tangent, but uh, I think we'd make the point there. I'm tangential Mm -hmm. today. I will use an example for myself because I never hold myself out to be the perfect human parent, therapist, woman, anything. I The example of parenting guilt is like the same thing with like good anxiety of like using it to improve your performance or how you are acting in your most authentic way. So one day, six months ago, probably now at this point, my daughter would not get into her car seat. 
and my husband was traveling for work as he is wont to do and i was by myself and i really wanted to like get a workout in or maybe i needed to wash my hair that day or so you know or i had maybe i had a doctor's appointment i can't even remember but i just like really needed her to get in the car and this was the day that she really chose to be the three major of a two-year-old that she has always been since she was about 18 months old bless her love you um <laughs> and i kind of gotten i didn't like get in her face but like i leaned in and i really raised my voice and i that is parenting guilt for me that is mm -hmm. me reflecting back on my behavior as a parent and not wanting to make that choice again and i've really mm -hmm. intentionally thought i've shared this story a number of times and i've really intentionally thought about like okay next time i'm going to take a lap around the car because it's going to take me 30 seconds to walk away and if i'm going to be 30 seconds late i'd rather do that than scream in my two-year-old's face and my four-year-old watched me do it Yep. So that's the difference between like parenting guilt and the mom guilt. And I really want to make sure that we're intentional about using those words because the default caregiver has so much put upon them, emotional, intellectual labor, the family planning, everything. Um, and so that's another thing that I'm really passionate about is making sure that we're trying to find ways to give ourselves grace mm -hmm. using not to not toxic positivity, but really being intentional about like, I'm human. I'm not perfect. It's okay to get tired. It's okay to need a break. It's okay to get frustrated. It's okay to articulate all of those things to your kids in a meaningful way so that they can see that they don't have to be perfect and to see an adaptive way to deal with when you're feeling dysregulated, here's how I can I regulate myself. Mm -hmm. And obviously translating that to something more age appropriate. So those are some of the things that have been really a passion of mine, both getting into it as a default caregiver myself having my fertility struggles and then really getting into it as my kids get older and, and meeting with more and more clients yeah i think that's so important i feel like i was listening to myself again because mm -hmm. there's also all of this stress surrounding parenting nowadays because of social media too mm -hmm. and like doing it the quote unquote right way yeah. you know what i mean i feel yes. as though i mean there are so many things that Kevin and I, my partner and I want to do with our daughter that we didn't have growing up, right? And yes. we've made such great strides, but this notion of like perfection surrounding that, surrounding the modeling of, okay, mommy is a little upset right now, so I'm mm -hmm. going to take a deep breath. Mm -hmm. You're still going to mess up sometimes. And it's mm -hmm. that like giving yourself the grace piece that mm -hmm. I think is hard for me and probably a lot of other parents out there. Yes. There was another thing that you touched upon that I think is huge. And I'm curious what your perspective is on this. I'm so fortunate in that my partner and I are partners in life and partners in business. And what that means is that we literally have a 50 50 split mm -hmm. for what we do for kind cotton and what we do for our daughter yes. because we have the same job you know yeah. what i mean there's no like well dada is working three jobs he's outside of the house so mom is doing all of the things with the kids mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. even if he has a job too and there's no like we make the same money we participate the same yes but i would imagine that women over the years mm -hmm. have just incurred a lot more responsibility all around yes historically first of all too we do we grew up in a space where our parents grew up in a space where their parents grew up in a space and got married and because like even i talk about like united states architecture reflects the patriarchy there's the p word because a lot of houses from like the 50s only have one car garage because only one person went to work and the mom mm. was expected to stay home because of course we had heteronormative lifestyles where 
it was almost always a man and a woman. And anyway, we could go off on that tangent, but I won't. But y'all know how I feel about that. So, so yeah, it really is that. And that's why the term mom guilt, like, like let's let's yeah. erase that hashtag. Let's erase that energy. Parenting guilt. Did you scream at your two-year-old because she wouldn't listen to you and get in the car? Well, use that guilt versus shame. I'm not a bad person, but I made a choice that is not within my energy. And being able to say that in a different way and framing that helps me to not be as hard on myself because I'm not perfect. Well, I actually want to know to follow up on what you just said, mm -hmm. because this is something somehow we cover all the time, but I feel like particularly in our country, and you and I spoke about this a little bit beforehand too, is that we're not actually embracing children for being the beautiful human beings that they are, right? right? And especially historically speaking, well, you need to listen and you need to cut it out because I said so and I am the boss and these are the rules. Right. When in reality, it was such a beautiful teaching moment for you to say, I'm sorry, mom can mess up too, right? Yes. And I owe you an apology because children shouldn't be made to fear you in order to listen to you. So right. I'm wondering if you could talk about some experience you may have had with that with some of your clients or just in general, what your thoughts are about that. It's so hard because there is, and I actually had this conversation with my daughter's um, teacher at her last school where it was like, I really don't want them to be afraid of me. I don't want them to be, I'm not going to be their friend, mm -hmm. you know, when they're like 25, absolutely, let's go on a nice little holiday together in wine country, yes, please. But like, especially right now, they need to understand boundaries and children do their best in boundaries. Mm -hmm. um, and also I wanna just snuggle the little face and they're so cute and just, of course you can have a third applesauce packet. And like, yes, of course. <laughs> and also sometimes I'm tired and I wanna put on an extra applesauce of bluey and like all of that. But I, and I was saying, I was like, what is the language? What is the difference? Like to get them to respect you without getting them to fear you. Mm. I really, and I don't, I don't, even I don't know the answer. It's very individualized for everybody and what you want as a parent. But I do, I do feel that of like, how do I get my kids to respect me? I don't want to say respect my authority, but like, mm -hmm. what do we want? How do we want to say that? Not like I'm an authority figure, but I am, the person who makes the rules and sets the boundaries because I'm the person who's in charge of keeping them safe and healthy. Yeah. And that's hard to articulate to a two and a four year old or whatever insert age here. Um, but yeah, so that honestly has been an ongoing conversation for me and some of my fellow parents recently, because it really is like, it's a tough thing. And I don't, I don't want it to default into fear mm -hmm. where they like clinch when they're around me or, yeah. Or 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 where that evolves into the fear of oh my gosh if my mom finds out I'm gonna die when they get older she's gonna kill me versus I want them to be like oh my gosh I just made a terrible mistake I gotta call my mom yeah that's the other thing we talk about with judgment too I'm speaking to myself and I have this conversation with clients a lot as well about like so first of all my son was eight months old when we first left Houston, which was March 17th of 2020, and entered quarantine simultaneously in a city that we knew literally nobody. So, and I was a stay-at-home parent for four months. And so so even then I wasn't even like going to work and meeting friends and even if I had no. it, you know? So we never went places really. 
and we, we took quarantine pretty seriously. And so even if we did go out, it was like on a patio where there were only like two tables, but it was originally had 20 tables, you know, like, yeah. And so my, and then I had my daughter in 2021 and like right before Delta came around. And so we had a little bit of flexibility, but when she was an infant newborn and my kids just like, don't really know how to behave in public or with another, certainly they were going to school. So they understood like some more with other kids, but like, and that for me was a pressure that I was putting on myself a lot of like, mm. look at that kid just sitting so calmly and eating and like chuckling or whatever. My kids are running around climbing up the banisters and like, mm -hmm. it's tough because they're two and four or younger even. And I want them to be their beautiful, wild, expressive selves. And I also feel I allow myself and I'm being intentional about that to feel humiliated like that's a reflection on me as a parent and ultimately it's not they're their own humans we do have rules we do have boundaries it is my job to redirect them when they are being unsafe or mm -hmm. disrespectful certainly but I don't know it's hard to give yourself that grace but really encouraging people and I'm saying it to myself that your children's behavior, generally speaking, is not a reflection of you as a parent. Now, if you're punching people in the face and they're punching people in the yeah, face, yeah, exactly. yeah, let's have a conversation about that. But yeah, yeah. generally No, speaking, I get that. I think we put too much on ourselves and a lot of it is yes. inherently who they are. Yes. So, yeah. Which can be a beautiful thing, right? This is something that our listeners have heard a ton, but I was so grateful as a girl, and you'll understand why I'm saying this. Yes. Um, to have my parents continually support who I was because I was loud and I was passionate and I was what Amen. some people would say argumentative, but they looked at it as I had a lot to say and I was curious mm -hmm. and I was going to do amazing things in the world and I was going to use this voice mm -hmm. for good. Yes. And had they not instilled all of that in me, it probably would have a made me feel horrible about who I was. You are wrong. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There is something to be like ashamed of for being that way. Girls should not be that way. And of course I got that from outside sources, but my parents were the people who mattered most to me. And they always instilled this sense of you are unique and you are who you are and you're going to do amazing things because mm -hmm. of who you are. And mm -hmm. I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. Of course, all falling within that. Are you being respectful? Are you like, you know, not being totally off the right? Road? And I was most of the time. Right. <laughs> I just really celebrate the parents who are trying to allow their kids to do that. And I think that is a lot of our goals. And I also hold all of the space for those of us who are like, but my kids are the only ones running around screaming and throwing things and blah, 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 blah. Um, so it's it's also tough there. Yeah. Has the mental health of caregivers shifted, particularly over the past four years, let's say since the pandemic? Because I think many, many, many times we talk about the kids, rightfully so. But being in the line of work that you are in, like mm -hmm. I know I had my daughter three months prior to the pandemic. So very mm -hmm. similar to, yeah. to you. Yes. Took it very, 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 very seriously. And we were living in the state of Florida and we felt like we were crazy for taking it seriously in the state they of Florida. They tried to make you feel like you were the one who had lost the plot. Uh -huh. Yeah, it was wild. So I didn't have any of the new mom supports, right? Yeah. So I'm curious from a professional what you have seen in your line of work when it comes to 
mental health over the past few years? So, so much. It's been really interesting, especially with that isolation, especially feeling like luckily on very much a double-edged conversation of there's too much on the internet. There are too many people espousing that they know what, what is right and what is wrong. There are too many people showing only a highlight reel that then if we internalize that and participate in obsessive comparison disorder, we are going to struggle. And then also it wasn't nice at like three o'clock in the morning if I can Google something and be like, oh, okay, this is not the end of the world. This is just like, oh, this loose stool means this. Yeah. And I will call the doctor in the morning, but I don't need to go to the emergency department. Like those, so it's very, yes. And for me, um, I was very lucky. I mean, we had a group of girlfriends and all five of us had kids, May, July, September, December, December. And so, and two of those had older kids. I think they were three at the time our kids were born. So like, I was really lucky to be able to virtually yeah. um, have some of those conversations. I do think it got a little toxic because when we would get frustrated with things because we were all frustrated and not learning how to like cohabitate 24 seven with people. So any little thing that one of our partners did, we would start to like text about and I would recognize like some of the unhealthy traits and habits of that. And so I encourage people of like how you are intentional about dealing with those conversations with partners and being open and communicating and also giving each other grace as we're trying to learn to give ourselves grace. It's easier to give other people grace sometimes, but it's also difficult to give your partner grace. Um, there are a number of things about being intentional about like the fair play method or whatever whatever kind of energy that you want to make sure that you're sharing the emotional and mental load where you were talking about like you all have that 50 50 split but mm -hmm. even in those moments where like but you're sick so you've only got 20 minutes yeah 20 percent to give and your husband's got to pick up that 80 percent. but you all are being intentional about maybe not necessarily articulating numerically or or do what that looks like or you're both sick and so you've both got 20 percent. so how do we make up that other 60 percent, and what does that look like and making sure i mean it really boils down to communication there have been the advent of more social media support groups which has been really lovely and people do feel more seen especially like i had somebody on my show recently who's a solo parent and like she has some of the closest friends that she has are virtual but they're also the parents and so they're able to relate mm -hmm. and give ideas and then also too again we'll go back to the comparison which is also and there's some toxic there's some toxicity in that as well so it's very much yes and i think just the self-awareness piece of like what are the things that you are doing that are adaptive what are the things that you are doing that are reactions versus responses how are you building communication patterns with your partner if you have one your co-parent whatever that looks like to be able to help ourselves because yeah, I mean, I really don't think that we're over the pandemic of it all. I think mm. a number of us picked up daily drinking habits because where else are we going? So why not have a split a bottle of wine on a Tuesday night, which I'm not judging like you do you. And if you think you have problems, please seek help. But um, the picking up of the phone, I think has been something that has been tough for a lot of people where mm -hmm. I will recognize like for some reason during bedtime is when I think I need to start working on Canva to fix my Parkinson's ride, this was literally me last night. Like I'm doing the Parkinson's Foundation ride on Saturday, which will have already passed by the time this posts. And like, for some reason, that was when I felt like I needed to work on my flyer for it and try to post mm -hmm. and get more people to join me during bedtime when mm -hmm. I was gonna have a couple hours right after. Yeah, that was my whole morning. Right? Or it is, yeah. I mean, it, it's almost like my daily life because you feel 
just like there's so many more things to do, you know? Mm -hmm. So I have to be, I have to be so intentional around mm -hmm. leaving my phone outside of the room mm -hmm. as much as possible when I'm with my daughter, because then there's not yeah. that pull to, you know, not be present. Mm -hmm. And do I have to do it sometimes? Am I guilty of the bad? Right. You know, of right. course I do. Of course I do. No one is perfect. And then that goes back to like, giving yourself grace. Technology is not probably going anywhere. And so mm. being mindful about your technology practices, like you don't owe your four-year-old necessarily an explanation, but also saying like, hey, I need to take this call because blah, blah, blah. So would you mind just going and playing over there for a minute? And I'm going to, or like, I need to send this email versus like, mommy, get off your phone. Like, why are you always on your phone? Like my, my son said that to me once. And I don't believe that I'm always on it, but I definitely am on it more than I'd like to run them. And that just crushed me. I get it. And so being again, intentional and modeling those things of like, it's okay to be on your phone sometimes. How are we respecting each other in this space of like, I'm meant to be in this space intentionally with you versus I know at seven o'clock I need to send this email or check in on something or make this call. So it's all, I mean, intentional really is the word of the game of the day mm -hmm. as well, the self-awareness piece. And I like what you're saying too. I actually had this conversation about technology. Vaping is another big one. Like, can you move that away so that you have to conscious be conscious in picking it up? Mm -hmm. It like makes such a difference for me. Like if it's in my pocket, I'm like, it's who can I answer on DM? Who can, what can I post? What can I, yeah, Absolutely. yeah, it's constant. But if it's, all the way in another room and my daughter and I are engaged in play and I have to actually like physically get up and be like, mama will be right back. I'm way less likely to participate in it. And it right. makes you like happier all around because honestly, I don't want to be on my phone all day long. Mm -hmm. Like I can be more productive if I lay out the time in mm -hmm. which I'm on my phone, you know? Yes. So intention, schedule, yeah, activity intention. planning, like it is really helpful. And yeah, and I, that also goes to when I am constantly talking about focus and distractibility is if you are setting yourself up for success in that way as well, you're helping to retrain your brain. Like I was talking to somebody on my show and then she was like, my son made fun of me. He was like, wow, mom, you can't even sit through a red light and not pick up your phone. And she was like, yeah, hi. It's me. <laughs> and since then, I don't necessarily think that I did it every single time, but I want to do it less and less and fewer times than I'm doing it now. Yeah. And that was something too, where it was like that constant need to be connected because we were so isolated for so long and it was so helpful. And now that we are able to access things more in person or at least like less restricted yeah that how do we shut that down and it really is like retraining your brain on that which is why i was saying like even just being more aware of how often you have that urge to pick up your phone before you even think about that this is something i say all the time to clients like the awareness piece and then we think about thinking about making a change mm -hmm. we don't make any changes because if we're expecting perfection overnight first of all haha -ha, or ever haha -ha, but also if, if it, this is my mantra for 2024, if it were easy, you'd already be doing it. Mm. If it were easy to never pick up your phone, unless you were really intentionally going to post one thing on Instagram, or you like really wanted to make sure that you saw Beyonce's new album drop, like mm -hmm. God bless, do that, um, then fine. But it's not easy. So the first thing is being aware that you're doing it. Like, oh, I just went to reach for my phone, but it wasn't around me. So I didn't. 
or still go ahead and pick it up, but then think about maybe in the future what that might look like for you if you want to do that. And yeah. thinking about, like you said, sched even scheduling out some of that time. So yeah. we have the piece of awareness. We think about thinking about making that change. And then we start slowly, incrementally making some of those changes. So you start to feel little successes. You recognize some of the hiccups. It's not a linear trajectory, but starting to be able to feel a little better about it and then getting closer to the point where you'd like to be. Yeah, I love that. It's so important, particularly for an ADHD brain. I feel like mm -hmm. that's super important. Mm -hmm. Before we go, I want to know two things. First, where can people follow you, support you? Tell us all the socials and all the good stuff. Yes. Uh, so I'm Amplify Wellness with Meg on Instagram. Um, Meg Duke. I mean, you can find everything there. That like, if everyone's like that, that if you go one place, go there. Um, but you can find the, I'm at MegDukeLCSW.com where you can find, if you don't mind me doing a little plug, I have, I have Do actually it. Distraction Buster courses. Um, I have a little freebie. So like go there, check that out. I have a free daily mood tracker. If that's something I think that's really important too. quick little tangent of like understanding, like, are there any patterns to the stressors that you're experiencing? What was going on when you were experiencing that stressor? Like when you did that maladaptive thing, like my favorite coping skill is a bacon cheeseburger. It's not a healthy coping skill, but it helps me. Right. And so like, what led up to what was happening, what was going on when I got that urge to get the bacon cheeseburger or when I actually got it? Because sometimes I do. Um, so just those sort of things. Then I have also some paid courses too that like the Distraction Buster that goes on. I also have a Facebook group for the Distraction Buster Challenge, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and then the Perinatal Podcast, of course, which you'll be able to find Caitlin on. Yeah. Um, by the time, hopefully, I think by the time this drops. So that'll be really fun as well. And all of that's on my Instagram. Awesome. And Meg, before you go, this wouldn't be the kindnesses pod if I did not ask you yes. what true kindness means to you. So can you share with us what your definition of kindness is? I will. I'm going to give you one word answer, but then I'm going to go on. Uh, kindness is clarity. Mm. If we, there's a difference between kind and nice. Mm -hmm. Nice is doing something for somebody even though you are overworked or you don't want to do it but you know that like oh okay well i'll be nice and i'll do that anyway and then you in some level build resentment for that or you have sacrificed something else in your own way that's nice and that's not kind kind is setting people up for success with your expectations with your boundaries um understanding that sometimes you will disappoint people especially when you have to protect your mental well-being physical well-being your family like that's your job is to is to do that so if you were supposed to go somewhere and everyone's just not feeling it and you say we're not going to make it then being able to let the person know clearly and then not taking on that guilt of like this is just what we need to do so the more that we can set people up for success with expressing our needs and desires and communication the the kinder we are. So for me, kindness is clarity. Something that I need to listen to over. I'm just going to hit play at the end of this podcast over and over again for yeah. weeks until I have that aspect of kindness down because, and I know this, this is probably going to be, people already know this at this point, but I'm assuming this will be a two-part podcast, which I am excited about because we've talked about some amazing things. But for me, that is the piece I struggle with, right? My mm -hmm. therapist actually said to me, first session I ever saw her was, you have zero issues advocating for other people. 
there it being is. kind to other people, why can you not advocate for yourself? Mm -hmm. There it is. Thank you so much for being here, Meg. I really appreciate you in this space and in the larger space as well. It's my pleasure. I'm, I'm so delighted and I'm excited for your listeners to get to hear our conversation and our conversation on my show. So thanks Me for that. Me too. Bye. Tune into that too. Thank you. Bye. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of the Kindness Is Podcast. If you love it and it's adding even a little bit of value to your life, we would love, love, love if you could subscribe, rate, and review so we can reach even more people and make this world a little bit more kind.